A special shout out to Tribunus Plebis and Donna Yoon for becoming our newest patrons on Patreon. Thank you for the solidarity, comrades. This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies, and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you'll help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Combat sports fans were delighted this weekend when they found out they got a chance to watch both MMA and boxing in the same evening. Although it was boxing that offered a title fight in Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury, which was taking place in Las Vegas, the UFC delivered with Paul Felder and Dan Hooker going the full five rounds down in Auckland, New Zealand. Despite the general disrespect shown by boxing promoters towards MMA and UFC specifically, Both sports can coexist peacefully and often strengthen the other. Look no further than the main sponsor for the Wilder vs. Fury fight. All across the ropes and in the middle of the canvas, Proper 12 was on full display. For those who may be unaware, Proper 12 is the whiskey company started by Conor McGregor. In fact, McGregor actually sent Fury a bottle of said product to wish him luck. Now, the wisdom of sending a recovering alcoholic a bottle of whiskey is debatable, but hopefully Fury took it more as a symbolic gesture. Speaking of McGregor, both him and Mayweather actually have the second highest pay-per-view purchase of all time at 4.3 million buys. There's a good argument to be made that since their match back in 2017, public interest in boxing has reignited. Not long after, we got Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G, one of the best middleweight clashes we've had in a long time, and KSI versus Logan Paul. I can already hear you guys snickering, but hear me out. The first KSI versus Logan Paul match did 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. Granted, the price was much lower at $10 a view, but tell me Dana White wouldn't have killed for those kind of numbers or at least coverage. Since the KSI versus Logan Paul fight was ruled a draw, it was inevitable that a rematch would take place, much like Wilder versus Fury. For the first KSI versus Logan Paul fight, the first match picked up enough attention that the zone, the same streaming service that has both Canelo Alvarez and Triple G on their roster, agreed to broadcast the event. They also got Billy Joe Saunders to defend his WBO super middleweight title 
on the undercard. This is the same Saunders that is currently undefeated and is rumored to face off against Alvarez next for his May 2nd fight. The point is, these YouTubers could have chosen MMA as their preferred venue of combat. It is, after all, what more the kids are watching these days. But they chose boxing. Despite the silliness surrounding the event and the rematch, both KSI and Logan Paul took time out of their day to learn enough about the sport and set out to promote the event as a boxing match. There's still something to be said about pugilism that draws us to it. And when it comes to boxing, no title is more coveted than the heavyweight title. Boxing has been mirrored as of late with countless titles, but for the sake of argument, both Wilder and Fury headed into this rematch with a solid claim as the best in the division. Up for grabs was Wilder's WBC belt, the vacant The Ring title, as well as all lineal heavyweight title. I know with Anthony Joshua holding the actual belts, this can be confusing, but such is a sport where multiple promoters lay claim to having the best boxers around. Anyways, let's talk about the fight itself. The first Wilder Fury match ended in the most bizarre way possible. It looked like Wilder hit Fury clean for the knockout and was doing a little victory dance to celebrate. In one of the craziest comebacks ever, Fury not only got up to beat the count, but he beat Wilder for the rest of the round. To show you how crazy that is, Wilder has had 43 fights and only one of them, other than the Fury fight, has gone to the judges. That means 42 other opponents have either been finished or had their corners thrown in the towel. Heading into the rematch, Fury promised a knockout in the early rounds and that he has learned enough from their first fight and can finish Wilder this time around. As soon as the bell rang, true to his word, Fury came forward like it was round 13 of their first fight. The first two rounds of the rematch were fairly competitive. Body jabs were thrown aplenty by Wilder, and given that Fury loves to move his head off center, it's a smart move to keep Fury in place and slowly drain the gas tank. Fury kept his word and kept advancing in the first round, pressuring Wilder constantly and keeping his back close to the ropes. His bed's punches early were the jabs that kept Wilder on edge, especially when he stepped in and was able to throw some of his weight behind it. Fury's constant herky-jerky movements confused and threw off Wilder in their first fight, but this time around Wilder was much better prepared and seemed a lot more poised. Even though Fury is a prolific jabber, Wilder was content trading lead hands. In the first six minutes, their CompuBox numbers were even, with Fury having a slightly more accurate punch count. The third round is when it all changed. Fury was connecting with some clean shots and hurt Wilder, and scored a knockdown in the last 30 seconds. A right hand over the top connected behind the ear of Wilder. When he walked over to his corner, you could see blood dripping from the left ear, the same one that just got hit. This was a sign of a potentially ruptured eardrum, and even if you're not a doctor, you should know that's bad. Not only does this affect your hearing, your balance is affected as well. To give you a brief anatomy lesson, the further in your ear you go, the more sensitive the nerves. In particular, the vestibular system is quite vulnerable to blows 
And that's bad when your way of living is made by throwing and receiving punches. The vestibular system is responsible for providing our brain with information about motion, head position, spatial orientation, and it is also involved with motor functions that allows us to keep our balance, stabilize our head and body during movement, and maintain posture. Not only is all this important for everyday life, it is especially important when you're taking shots from a 6 foot 9, 270 pound man. As the fight wore on, it was clear that Fury studied the greats of boxing and used a lot of their strategies to defang Wilder and his right hand. When I talk about the greats, I want to specifically point out Floyd Mayweather and George Foreman. Mayweather in particular is famous for clinching up right after he throws his punches, usually a left hook or a right straight. This does two things. One, Mayweather can defuse any potential counters that might come his way, and two, he can shift his body away to a different position, ready to break off and either punch again or prepare for counters. It's particularly important to do this against someone like Wilder, who has essentially a magic eraser in his right hand. All the hard work you put in can quickly disappear if he connects, like none of it ever mattered. In the George Foreman article I wrote not too long ago, I mentioned specifically how he will time his opponents and whenever they rush in, he would press down his weight on their neck before separating and punching back. Given that he was 6'4 and considered tall for a heavyweight at the time, he was able to get away with it. If you happen to be more of an MMA fan, here's some other examples. Fedor Emelianenko and Daniel Cormier. Fedor loved using his right-hand lead to clinch his opponents and rough them up with short punches and uppercuts. Cormier also utilizes the clinch game effectively, and the best display of this is in the first Stipe Miocic fight. Whenever Miocic looked to come in too close, Cormier would duck slightly and extend his lead arm over the shoulder of Miocic, tying up his right hand and getting an over-under. This allowed Cormier to land in some uppercuts and neutralize the right hand, and the clinch breaks were all done on his accord, not Miocic's. Fury used all of the above at different times, and honestly, what better way to neutralize someone with a weapon you're already very familiar with? Kenny Bayless, the referee, was kept busy the entire night by constantly separating the two. But it was clear that the tie-ups were favoring Fury, even if he lost a point in the fifth round. Even though the fight was at heavyweight, Fury still outweighed Wilder by a good 40 pounds. That's a significant size advantage, no matter which way you cut it. Weight classes exist in combat sports, specifically wrestling and boxing, because even just a few pounds is enough to give one person such a huge leg up. Fury essentially spent rounds 4 through 7 repeating this process, all while landing heavy jabs and straights from an opponent that was essentially out on his feet. At the end of the 6th round, Wilder's corner told him to step back and land a right, as if he wasn't trying to do that the whole fight. It was clear that he was just out there getting pummeled, and no amount of coaching was going to improve the situation. Mercifully, the fight was stopped in the 7th round. Even though it was fairly one-sided, Credit is due to Wilder for being essentially a slightly blown-out cruiserweight who opts to face monsters like Fury. He has his own defensive movements that kept him out of trouble for most of his career, 
but it wasn't enough this time around. Wilder always had technical problems, and there isn't a shortage of guys that have given him such. Luis Ortiz, Gerald Washington, and Arthur Spica all gave Wilder trouble before he ended their nights with the right hand. Fury just figured, hey, he's already hit me with his hardest shot, and I didn't get knocked out. What's the worst that can happen? Wilder picked up boxing at age 20, which is pretty late as far as career development goes. And outside of Rocky Marciano, there aren't a lot of heavyweight champions who start at that age. After his recovery, it'll be interesting to see if Wilder takes some time off to further develop his technical skills, or if he feels that he should jump back in right away. As for Fury, what an amazing fight. Not only did he beat Wilder, he's so far the only one to have finished him. Despite all the drama surrounding his late camp switch and coming in heavier for the rematch, he proved a lot of doubters wrong and gave a masterclass in boxing. His style might have been too wrestling heavy for some, but it was a smart way to keep Wilder from landing and trying to rally a comeback. Now with the WBC title, the ring title, and still having the distinction as the lineal heavyweight champion, there's only one person he should really face, Anthony Joshua. Given the hurdles that Wilder and Fury had with their rematch, I can only imagine the logistic nightmare it'll take to set up Fury versus Joshua. Even though Eddie Hearns, Joshua's promoter, has publicly called for the fight to be made, we might be a few years away from the fight actually happening. Joshua holds the IBF, WBA, and WBO heavyweight titles, and now with Fury holding the WBC and ring belts, all major heavyweight titles belong to the British. At least when they face off eventually, we'll only have to hear one national anthem. Switching gears, the UFC's fight night in Auckland delivered tons of action in the main event. Felder vs. Hooker was an exciting lightweight bout that went all five rounds. And once again, we had a split decision winner. Hooker picked up the narrow split decision win. And again, the judges' scorecards were all over the place. Judge Barry Foley scored the first two rounds for Hooker and the last three rounds for Felder, giving Felder the win 48-47 on his scorecard. Judge Howard Hughes scores round 1, 3, and 5 for Hooker and rounds 2 and 4 for Felder, giving Hooker a 48-47 win on his scorecard. And finally, David Letheby scored the first 3 rounds for Hooker and the final 2 rounds for Felder, giving Hooker a 48-47 win on his scorecard. Although it wasn't as controversial as Jones versus Reyes, the wildly different results raises some questions in regards to how each judge scores a fight. This fight was closer than Jones versus Reyes as well, but it doesn't mean that fighters have any more clarity into how their matches are scored. This is something that was covered in detail in our previous fight study episode, so I won't rehash too much of it. Besides, it would take away from this amazing fight. As predicted, Felder started off slow to find his rhythm, and it's almost become a signature of sorts for him. Early on, Hooker did some damage to the right eye of Felder to the point where it was nearly swollen completely shut. Hooker also landed some nice kicks, especially those to the calves. The hard right hand and hooks did some damage for Hooker, 
but Felder wasn't without any offense of his own. The left hook and elbows helped him score some points, and Felder's kicks and spinning back fists kept Hooker from unloading. In the fight preview, Hooker's range and Felder's slow start were talked about. Given that Hooker was able to keep Felder at his desired range for most of the early rounds, it really helped with his strikes. But as the rounds wore on, it was clear that Felder was in it for the long haul. Despite showing more visible damage, it was Felder who was landing the harder strikes in the later rounds. The fight was honestly very close, and some rounds truly could have been toss-ups. With both guys having legitimate claims to having won the fight, we need to better serve the athletes and clear up what constitutes a victory, or at least find a way to get more uniformed in judging. After the fight, Hooker called for a matchup with Justin Gaethje in a battle for the highlight reel. Given that Gaethje is eyeing the winner of the Nurmagomedov versus Ferguson title fight, Hooker might not be granted that wish. Dustin Poirier is without a fight lined up, and a fight with him could be lots of fun. If not, Hooker should take some time off and see if perhaps the winner of Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira is available. As for Felder, he looked absolutely gutted post-fight, and mentioned that this might be his last. The time spent away from his daughter is proving more than he'd like to handle, and that he would have to talk further with his team to lay out his future. If this is the last fight for Felder, what better way to go out than a potential fight of the year candidate? Felder went from being a 500 fighter to being ranked in the top 10. There are tons of guys that will never come close to that. Felder also has a solid career as a broadcaster for the UFC. And who knows what other doors that might open. When a fighter says they are done, we should listen to them. Let's hope the fans have ears that are open to it. Now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show and will help us expand with more content on more platforms. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Until next time, goodbye.